glad that on this holiday weekend in our nation, on this troubled weekend in our nation, that you have come to this place of prayer to pray and to sing. We need to pray and to sing today. Singing, after all, is its own form of prayer. We need that this day. The families in Buffalo and Uvalde, they summon our prayers today. Our mourning nation summons our songs. And visions of grocery stores and workplaces and schoolhouses and concert venues and theaters turned into war zones call forth our voices tuned to justice and peace. Paul and Silas are doing it today. They traveled to that place of prayer. You remember last week, that place by the water where the Lydia, that wealthy dealer in purple cloth, listened to them eagerly. It must have quickly become the place where they came to listen for this spirit that was tearing down all of those old walls, opening hearts and homes, changing things for them, changing the world. And I bet at that place of prayer they sang. We know the Philippians liked to sing. It's right there in Paul's letter to them. He quotes a hymn. It may be one of the earliest hymns in Christianity. Maybe it was that congregation's favorite hymn. I don't know. It goes like this. Though Christ was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave and being born in human likeness and being found in human form, the hymn goes on, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I wonder if that was their, their favorite hymn. Every congregation has its favorite hymns, you know. The ones they sing standing a little straighter with more volume, a little less self-consciousness. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I rarely see people hunched over mumbling that hymn. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. My hope is built on nothing less and Jesus' blood and righteousness. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in God's excellent word. I never hear this congregation mumbling its way through those hymns. We stand up a little straighter. We sing a little louder. Every congregation has its favorite hymns. And so many of our congregation's favorite tunes are accompanied by this instrument, the pipe organ, which we're learning more and more can play all by itself. An instrument that can rattle the walls. I have a friend who came to worship once with us many years ago when we had the previous organ, and 
as we were visiting later, he said, man, your organist really blew the dust out of those pipes today. I loved it. I wanted to stand and dance. You can dance to Bach, you know. Another soundtrack of our church is the drone of those bagpipes. I know when those doors open in the back and Tom appears in his kilt and strikes the first note of the Highland Cathedral over the drone, tears will be shed. Some people will put their fingers in their ears, but others will weep with joy. We've been singing in the church from the start of things. The Philippian Christians go down to the water outside the gates of the city to that place of prayer, and there they pray, they sing, and they listen. Little do Paul and Silas know, but their singing in that place of prayer is a rehearsal of sorts. Our singing is a rehearsal as well. It's a rehearsal for a time they will not be singing by that water in the bright light of day, but in the deepest darkness. It's a rehearsal for a time when they will not stand and sing, but sit in painful shackles and sing their hymns and pray their prayers. The little hymn they sing tells the journey they are about to make, you know. Christ emptied himself even to the point of death on a cross have the same mind in you that was in him their cross waits for them this day in the form of an enslaved girl in the street a fortune teller her gift has caused her to be enslaved by people who are peddling her in the streets she will tell you your fortune for a little bit of money, but she doesn't get to see any of the cash herself. Rome and all of its colonies ran on these little micro-economies, they were called. The girl was probably sold to them by her own father. She is not free. Her oppressors are always just around the corner watching, making sure she does as she's told, making sure she doesn't take any of that cash for herself. Surely Paul and Silas know this. It explains why they allowed it to go on for days. They know if they say anything or do anything, they could be, there could be trouble. But Paul is not always the most patient person in the Bible. And by a few days later, he's had enough. And he believes this girl's gift is really a burden, a possession by a spirit. And so with the word, he sets her free. And her freedom reveals the bondage of her owners, who are now without a source of funds. The salaries that they earned off the back of this poor girl are gone, so they go to the police and the police arrest Paul and Silas, take them to the magistrate. The charges are simple. We don't do things like around here that way. We do things a certain way around here. Everybody's happy with the way things are. There are customs here that we all observe, and these are outsiders. And here comes the anti-Semitism. These are Jews. 
If we let them get a foothold here, the whole system will come crashing down. They're disturbing the status quo. They're disturbing the peace. There's fear in the air. Who exactly is bound and who is free? Magistrate, well, he makes quick work of these two Jews. The blows from the rods rain down on their backs in this painful and humiliating spectacle. They're forced not just into the prison, but into the interior of the prison, a dark and dank and inescapable place, still in terrible agony from the beating. Their legs are forced open and stocks locked around their ankles in a painful position. The jailer is placed at the door for good measure. So who is bound and who is free? The former owners of the slave girl who were completely dependent on her oppression for their livelihood, are they free? The magistrate who represents the Roman Empire and yet is so threatened by two Jewish preachers that he has them beaten and thrown into the deepest part of the cell? Is he free? The jailer watching the prison, is he free? Or the two men inside, shackled and singing, are they free? Last week in Uvalde, Texas, Father Edward Morales, the pastor at Sacred Heart Church, said to his parishioners and his community, it's okay to be angry but do not allow it to harden into hate. And later in the service, the paper says a song was sung among many, but this one was quoted. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. O wanderer, come home, you're not too far. So lay down your hurt, lay down your heart. Come as you are. Christians have been singing a long time, sometimes in beautiful sanctuaries like this, accompanied by pipe organs, and sometimes in prison, shackled and dark, sometimes in comfortable pews, and sometimes in the streets. I wonder if it was when they got to the final part of their hymn, their favorite hymn, I wonder if it was then that the walls began to shake. You know the part of that hymn. They would have already sung the part about Christ emptying himself and taking on the form of a slave, suffering death on the cross. It's there at that darkest moment of the hymn that it takes a dramatic turn. There's a pause. Therefore, God, the hymn says, therefore, God. There's a change in the key. Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. And the singing gets louder and louder so that the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And I imagine that's, that's when the ground started to shake when things began to change, 
when the chains began to fall away and the closed doors opened wide and things take on a great clarity there in the darkness of that inner cell, a light shines as the hymn reaches a crescendo and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord and not Caesar and his magistrates. There's freedom in the air. Jesus is Lord and no beating can change it. There's freedom in the air. Jesus is Lord and no prison can hold him. There's freedom in the air. Jesus is Lord and no gun can stop his kingdom. There's freedom in the air. The organ changes key. There's a grand pause and we stand a little straighter and sing a little louder. Those last stanzas, those last stanzas, they're always the ones you notice, they're always the ones that rattle the walls. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned full repose I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Just when you think that Highland Cathedral cannot get any higher, the organ joins the bagpipes, you know that moment, and you feel like you just might need seatbelts in the pews to hold you down. And when that final note ends and silence descends, I find myself holding my breath. It's in that moment when the hymn has ended and the shaking has stopped and the chains have fallen in the silence after the crescendo when the full power of what has occurred is finally known. You know who's free in this story. You know who's free. Because Paul and Silas don't go anywhere. Their shackles have fallen. The door is wide open. They stay put. And none of the other prisoners go anywhere either. They too sense a different kind of freedom in the air. You know they are free because they stay right there in that place of vulnerability. They do not let fear of being recaptured make them run. They show mercy to the jailer. And now he has seen firsthand a freedom that Rome cannot possibly conjure with its beatings and its crosses. And that's the thing about praying and singing. We don't sing and pray to an empty sky. We sing and pray to the Christ who shakes the walls, shakes our walls, and summons us 
to the work, the work of love. We are not passive prayers. We are not static singers. We get up from this place and we go out there into the world that so longs for the love of God. We are called to that work. So the waters of baptism flow and the church expands, built not on power or fear, but love and freedom. And that is the gospel. And that's what we're called here to proclaim. And we will pray it and sing it even in the teeth of death. Because Christ's church continues to shake up the ways of death, continues to break free from bondage, to set the prisoner free, singing as we go. Amen.